Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, the president and founder of the Coming Home Network International. First, I want to begin by thanking all of you who've listened to this program and sent your kind words to us, as well as supported our work. I truly appreciate that. This is, for those of you that might be listening to this program sometime in the future, it might be uh, interesting to give a date to this. I'm coming to you in the middle of April 2020, and that puts us right in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. And as all of you know right now, or maybe looking back, this is a crazy time for our country and for our world, for our church, and for our individual lives. So much has affected our lives in ways we never imagined. Even as I do this program, I'm doing it alone in my office. <clears throat> my staff and I are trying to do the best we can to practice social distancing. So, uh, I, in fact, it makes it a little more complicated for me to find a guest for this program. So, but I wanted to take some time to address you again uh, during this time of this coronavirus pandemic. I know that we've done some previous programs recently dealing with Count It All Joy in the midst of these trials. And I know that you, everywhere you turn on the internet, uh, and television, uh, people are focusing on this time. What's going to happen? Uh, when will things change? Will it ever get back to normal? Will our lives ever get back to normal? And I, I thought about another aspect of this to address. And maybe it's just something that maybe just myself or some others, particularly my age, might be facing during this time. But I thought it a, a good way to approach this in a little different direction. So what I'd like to do on this Deep in Scripture program, I'm going to focus on a number of scriptures just to talk about an important attitude that we need to take as we seek to follow Christ in our life, especially in the midst of trials. Trials affect us in lots of different ways. And I'm going to talk about one particular way, and that is that especially those maybe my, I'm 68, and those that are, get in their 60s, 70s, and 80s can find ourselves facing issues in our lives that when we were 28, 38, and 48 didn't take quite so seriously. When I was 28, I was a young, ambitious, enthusiastic, young Christian um, leaving engineering to go to seminary. Uh, with nothing but the world ahead. I was all excited about how my life might serve my Lord Jesus Christ. When I was 38, I was, Marilyn and I were fairly young marrieds. We had John Mark. Uh, I was a senior pastor of a Protestant church. Uh, everything was wonderful and the future was ahead. When I was 48, I had, by God's grace, Marilyn and I had already left the Protestant ministry, we had become Catholic. And when I was 48, I was hosting the Journey Home program, leading the Coming Home Network. Uh, we had three sons. We were living out on a farm. Everything was wonderful. The future was a long way ahead. But when I turned 58, still doing the Journey Home, amazing after all those years, still leading the Coming Home Network, living on our farm. My boys had all been progressing in their own lives but all of a sudden, the future began becoming more and more vivid to me. 
And now that I'm 68, uh, life will change. You know, issues about, will I, did I put enough money away to support myself? Um, what am I going to do when I'm no longer doing the journey home or traveling or all the things that I've become used to doing uh, when I pass the baton of the Coming Home Network along? Did my life make a difference? You know, I wondered if, if many people think about that as you get older. How many of us think about that? We look at our lives. We look at our children. We look at, uh, you know, what we've accomplished in life. And the reason I bring this up now is I'm concerned that in the midst of this pandemic, when so many people had plans and then they've all been shattered, and now we can't even think a month ahead, a week ahead, what's, what's going to happen with all the things we planned? And, and so many of us are left alone, the social distancing, feeling uncomfortable, even going to the supermarket or, or coming into work. And the devil can use this time to, to turn us inward, to, to speak in our mind, to discourage us, to make us worry, become over anxious. It's not just about counting it all joy, but it's, it's really dealing with the voices that want to make us feel like, did our life make a difference? And I thought I'd share a number of verses that I believe address this issue. And there are verses we all know, but just think about some of these verses. The first is, comes from Matthew chapter five, verse 16. It's a part of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's talking to his disciples, those who would follow him, to talk about our lives are to be a light to others. The way we live our life is to be a life to others, to give glory not to ourselves, but to God our Father. Matthew 28, the end of our Lord's earthly ministry, he's, he's died, given his life for us, He's resurrected, and he's about ready to ascend to the Father. His final message to his apostles in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. And the age he's talking about is the age we live in. He's with us all the way to the end. But he's telling his disciples that remember, your task, again, is to let your light shine. Go make disciples, baptizing them, and then teaching them all that is true. Again, our lives are to be a channel to others about the truth we've learned in Jesus Christ, the graces we've received through our baptism. In John 17, in our Lord's great priestly prayer, when he's praying to the Father for the apostles and disciples that he will leave behind, in that prayer in chapter 17 of John, verse 20 through 21, he says, I do not pray for, those, for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word 
that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He's praying not just for the apostles, but for those who believe in him through them. That's us. Because we have received the truth of Jesus Christ through the teaching of the apostles and then on through the witness generation after generation, 2,000 years later, here we are, that we might be united in him. In other words, that also speaks to us because of what we've received, those who will learn of Jesus through us, through our witness. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, this is an interesting passage because St. Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians because there are people challenging Paul. Who are you to, to tell us anything? And Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Paul is speaking to those who learned of Jesus through his witness. And while he's in chains and can't get to these people, he's reminding himself of how the Lord used him, called him face-to-face -face with Jesus in that, in that miraculous healing uh, when he was knocked off his horse and awakened by grace to Jesus Christ, that he was given this gift of an apostleship to be a messenger of Jesus Christ. And now he's writing to those who, because of his witness, they know Jesus. And it's a unique relationship he had with these people because God had awakened him his life became a witness to them. And of course, they, in 2 Corinthians, are being told that they then are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So from Christ to Paul to them, and then from them to others. And of course, he also said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul, who received it from Jesus, had uh, equipped Timothy and he told Timothy, no, I want you to equip others who can then equip others, can tell others. It's the shining of the light, the witness from Jesus to us, then to others. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, similar statement by Paul to the Ephesians. He says, In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, we, he's talking about himself and the other apostles, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Once again, Paul recognizes that he and the other apostles were called that they might be witnesses so that others might see the glory of Christ through them for the praise of his glory. And then he said, okay, to you, 
you who heard the truth, received the gospel of your salvation, and have believed, and then he said, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's, of course, talking about baptism. And through the graces of that baptism, there's the guarantee of their inheritance, the hope of resurrection in Christ. And then just one more scripture for this portion of my reflection comes from 1 John, the beginning of 1 John chapter 1, 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, the Apostle John saying, hey, the gift that we received in seeing and walking and hearing Jesus, we pass on to you so that we have fellowship one another and our fellowship is with the Father. He's talking about the body of Christ, the koinonia, that we share by grace through baptism, united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, the church. All these verses, in my mind, remind us of something very important. There was a, a writing from, uh, a very old writing, centuries ago, by an abbot of a monastery. And apparently one of the monks asked him, Abbot, how do I break free from the sin of self-esteem? In other words, this constant self-focus, inward focus on myself. How do I break free from that? And what was the abbot's answer? The abbot's answer to the monk was, get out of your cell and go help the poor. Get out of your cell and go help the poor. All these verses talk about the fact that you and I have been given a great gift that changed our life. It isn't because we're so intelligent, because we happen to read the right book. It's because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who so loved us, opened our hearts to him, whether it was through the witness of a friend or a book we read, or because of what we received through the sacraments and the church, but we were awakened. But we had the freedom to respond. And if you're listening to me, I am completely convinced it's because you have responded, because you listened to Jesus Christ and your life was changed. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. You're one of the brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ, a part of the family. And we are united in Jesus Christ together. But it isn't just for us. It's because we are called to be a light to others. All those scriptures talked about us being a light for others. And during difficult times like this, when we're run, wondering about tomorrow, will we be able to take care of our family? take care of ourselves, or especially those of you who are kind of like my age, we're looking, we're had, trying to figure out what we're going to do in the future with our lives. Uh, do we put away enough in our, uh, our savings, our 403Bs? Uh, what are we going to do if we, we quote, retire? Uh, what am I going to do with myself? Myself, myself, myself. 
And some of us might be asking question, did my life make a difference? And whenever that thought comes to me, I remember one of my favorite movies. You know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it every Christmas. Uh, when it first came out, it wasn't a big splash in the theaters. And of course, once it came out in those days, it was then put up on a shelf. <clears throat> but in the modern days of media, through the internet, through CDs, DVDs, VHSs, they're all available to us. And so uh, Christmas doesn't go by when we don't watch at least once. It's a wonderful life. Why is that movie caught on? Well, I won't go through the whole movie. But the movie was about a man who was caught up in a perfect storm. His whole life had fallen apart. He thought that his life was a failure, everything. And he was so caught up in despair that he made the vow. He wondered if his life had been worth living. He wondered if it had all been better if he'd never been born in the first place. You know the story, the angel comes down and helps him recognize that in the end of the story, he was able to see what a difference his life had made and how the world would be different if he hadn't lived. And so in the end of the story, he basically, like it says in the, the James passages we've been studying, he'd learned to count it all joy when he met trial, because he realized that by the grace of God, though the, the movie doesn't talk much about the religious aspect, but we recognize that through the grace of God, his life indeed had made a huge difference in the world. Ways in which he never imagined it had changed so many people's purposes in life. That's to me the message of what I want to tell you right now. If you get caught up because of the isolation and the other things in your life wondering whether you've made a difference, I want you to pause and think about how, by grace, your life has made a difference in others. In doing this, I don't want you to start patting yourselves on the back. I want you to be called to gratitude, to look at the ways God has used you, has used me, has used our children, has used our families, has used our grandchildren to make a difference in other people's life. Think about the difference that God has made through you to your children, to your spouse, to your grandchildren, to your co-workers, to your friends. Think about the ways that indeed, even with all our flaws, all the ways that we failed. Good Lord Jesus. <laughs> when I think about anything that I might have done, it's amazing in the mercy of God, how God has used this sow's ear to make a difference in other people's life. Praise God. Think about what he's done in your life. Praise God for that. Thank him for that. All the different ways that he has used you to change others. Now you might... In reflection, you might find yourself caught up well. I can't think of very many ways. Maybe you look back and you may mainly see ways that you failed. Maybe you look at where your children are and you wish you had been a better witness. Maybe your spouse. 
Maybe there's ways you wish you had been more Christ-like, more caring, more loving, more forgiving. Grandkids, friends, co-workers. Look all the ways maybe we've failed to be Christ-like to them. Well, let me remind you of another verse, one of my favorites. I have to quote to myself a lot, and that's Philippians 3. When Paul says, brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, look, I have failed in the past, but I can start over now. What are ways that I can be a light to others now? What are ways that my words can be a blessing to others now? In what ways do I need to say I'm sorry now? We're isolated from one another. The devil's using this time to cut us off. But on the other hand, God has given us unique ways that we didn't have before that we can connect with others. A thing called email, a thing called FaceTime, a things that we can use to connect with others, not to focus on ourselves. To me, that's one of the biggest twists of today's modern social media. It's so much about ourselves. It's almost become narcissistic. People go on the internet and all they talk about is themselves. Listen, how can we use this time to affirm others, to bring others to Jesus Christ, to help them see their need for God's love, to be open? What are ways, number one, that we, by God's mercy, can celebrate what he has already done through our lives. Praise God. Think about that. Think about the blessings that God has used through you to others in your life. And then second, Lord, forgive me for the ways I've failed to be a witness. But thirdly, Lord, give me an others-focused attitude. During this time, there are people out there who are very lonely that might be encouraged from a word from me. What are ways we can do that? Now, I'd like to close this in a little different way because I want to focus a different audience now. I'd like to talk to you, if there's any of you out there that were like me, who was a Protestant minister. And I loved Jesus, and I was very grateful for the pulpit I had for the opportunity to serve him as a, a pastor. It was a great, great privilege, something that I had dreamed of when I went to seminary. After my conversion to Jesus, my whole life was about serving him. But then I began to struggle with that great opportunity for that pulpit. And I know those of you that have listened to testimonies on the Coming Home Network, my staff, Ken Hensley, or or Matt Swaim, or Jim Anderson, or, or Mary Claire, or, or Monsignor Steenson, or have listened to the Journey Home program, uh, or our other programs on, you recognize the many stories of men and women who love Jesus Christ, but then were awakened to issues that open them up to the Catholic Church. And I want to just reflect on a few of the verses that awakened me in this very 
issue that I'm talking about. In James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, for you know that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. When we have been given the opportunity to teach or preach, we have to recognize that we have a very important responsibility for what we pass along, for how we lead others, to how we teach others. And I'm telling you, you turn on the TV, especially during this time of this uh, unique Easter we've just had, where so many preachers are live streaming their worship services on the internet. If you spend time going from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, you're hearing a great variety of gospels of understanding of who Jesus is and what he expects of us and, and, and what we should expect of him. I mean, I, I, I turned on the one, it was all once saved, always saved. So as long as you trust Jesus, it almost doesn't matter what your life is like. As long as you trust Jesus, you're guaranteed of heaven. Is that what our Lord said? We turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Boy, I remember when this verse hit me. One Sunday when I was in the pulpit, and this happened to be the text I was preaching on, Mark 9, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It is important that we recognize that our message to others has to be true because there are people changing their lives because of things we say, especially those of us have been given a microphone, have been given a public presence. We are doubly responsible, as James said, and as Mark said, for what we teach others, because if we mislead someone, that comes back to us. How do you know that what you're teaching is true? Galatians 1, 6, 7, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which gospel is true? Which gospel is true? Which of them on television, whether it's Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist or Pentecostal or Mormon, Jehovah Witness, the church that's happening now, the Bible church, which gospel is true? Because they aren't all the same. They aren't all the same. I remember an old uh an old saying that goes back, uh, not even sure who originally coined it, but it's, I think, an important statement that says that in essentials unity, in non-essentials diversity, in all things, charity. Makes sense. But who determines which are the essentials and which are the non-essentials? And what does it mean to love? How do we balance charity with justice, especially when we see people that are misrepresenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. We turn to 1 John, one more verse in this section, chapter 2, 18, 19. 
He says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. Here we have the end of the, or sometime toward the end of the first century, the Apostle John talking about already in the church, there are those dividing the church who are contradicting the teachings of the church about whether Jesus came in the flesh or or how do we understand his divinity? Already there's a great confusion. If you, if you turn over to our Deep in History broadcast that I'm doing with Monsignor, and we're studying the writings of St. Irenaeus, who wrote about 100 years after John, his whole book is about the many Gnostic gospels that were spreading and bringing confusion amongst Christians. And the point is, John says that a lot of these false teachers at one time were a part of us. But then they broke away because they didn't agree with what John was saying or the other apostles were saying. And by the time 100 years later, Irenaeus is going to talk about uh, Valentinus and Montanus and all these other Marcion, all these other teachers who at one time were faithful in the church. But then they thought they knew better than the church. They thought they had a, a clearer word of the Holy Spirit. And so they went off and started their whole church. One of the greatest writers of the third century, many believe the greatest theologian of that century, Tertullian at one time, was a faithful proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And the church, his writings to this day, are considered a faithful witness of the gospel, of the Trinity. But then later in life, he got caught up in a, a schismatic group, and he left the church, and he ended up dying apart from the church. My friends, especially those of you that are faithful Christians, but yet pastors in other churches, how can you be certain that what you're teaching is true? Most of you, like I was, we believe in the Scripture. The Scripture is the foundation the scripture is the source, and of course, scripture itself says that it's breathed of God, and it's uh, able to equip us, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, to, to be what God wants us to be. We know that the, the Bibles are the inspired word of God. They're a gift to us through the church, we recognize. But is scripture alone sufficient to make sure that the gospel we're preaching is true. Let me end by quoting the scripture that turned my heart toward the church. 1 Timothy 3, 14, 15, 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. There's Paul's summary of the gospel. But how do we know it's true? He says that the pillar and bulwark of this truth is not the Bible alone. It's not philosophy. It's not our gut feeling. It's the church. 
the church established by Jesus Christ in his apostles. As we look back and we think about what kind of a witness we have been, I look back and realize there was a time that I was not teaching the full gospel. At the time, I thought I was. I was a good evangelical Presbyterian teaching Presbyterian truths, although I knew there were Presbyterians that disagreed with me. And I knew there were Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians, Church of Christ, Assembly of God, and Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, that disagreed with me, but I believed I was true. But then, by God's grace, I recognized that the pillar and bulwark of truth is the church. We have the scriptures through the church. We have sacred tradition. It's in sacred tradition that we believe in the Trinity, in the divinity of Christ. That didn't come from the Bible alone. We also in sacred tradition recognize that there is a hierarchy in the church established by Christ and his apostles with Peter in the head. You know, I was just reading recently in Acts that story about Early in Acts chapter 5, when uh, it talks about the church growing and people being drawn by awe to convert to Christianity. And there were people bringing their sick just to be in the shadow of Peter, just if they could, to touch the hem of his garment. Now, what does that say about Peter? You don't see anywhere in Acts the people doing that with the other apostles, but they were doing it with Peter. And that affirms what our Lord said when he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. As we look back on our lives, have we been a faithful witness to Jesus Christ? My only challenge to you is praise God for your love for Jesus Christ for how God has used you, given you gifts to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. My challenge to you is to be open to the fullness of the faith. Be open to the fullness and know that if God is calling you forward toward the church, he will help you hear that by grace because he wants you to be a faithful witness so that when you reach my age, 68 or 78 and 88, we look back on our life, we can see that by his mercy, we have been a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. Let's pray for that for one another. May our lives, our words, and our actions point to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God bless you. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.